Hello and welcome to Retrospective Replay, a serialised podcast taking an in-depth look into video games. This is Season 1, Vagrant Story. Hello listeners and welcome to the final episode of season one. My name is Ian and with me tonight is the veritable vagrant himself, the intelligent Michael. Hello Ian, you <laughs> you, you embarrass me with your, your praise. <laughs> yeah, I'm just surprised How... we've made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, it, it is a hard game. I mean, you know, you give this game back to the, the kids nowadays, playing the Fortnites and the Call of Duties and I just don't think they'd be able to hack it, you know. Well, yeah, I think as well it's patience. And I, if it wasn't for a podcast, I might have given up on it a couple of times. But also the story. I guess the story is good. Because it does get a little bit tedious and it get a bit grindy. No, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I, I almost feel like we should have maybe got some saves and done like a second playthrough where we were like overpowered and could have just ran through the story a bit quicker. Probably make the game more enjoyable because it does have a new game plus as we'll... You know, after you beat the game, you know, I I, I looked into it. I, I loaded the save after I beat the game, and you know, you, you have your all your items and your swords, and so you jump in at the start and you're causing like a hundred damage. It's yeah, makes but the I game think much that would that would have been too easy. You don't want it to be too easy, do you? You want it to be a bit of a challenge as well. Because no, know. you don't. I mean, we're, we're retrospectively looking back at games. We want to know what they were like as they were when they came out of the box twenty years ago, ten years ago, whenever we played them. He said the name of the show in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was like me at the end of Vagrant Story. I was like, oh my God, that's where it came from. Anyway. Yeah. And also, we'll, we'll talk about when we get there, though, at the, the ultimate Metal Gear connection, right? Yeah, it's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. Um, I don't think I've got any patch notes to mention. Nobody's emailed any in. Or oh, what I do want to mention is that we are now on Twitter. You probably heard it a few weeks ago. I put it on the ending if you listen to the outro. But we are now on Twitter as at Retro Replay Pod. Give us a follow on there and just keep watching there for all of our updates. Okay, so back to the game. We resume in the Great Temple in Sin and Punishment. So this is basically the only magic circle in the place before we get to the final areas. I will correct you. We're in the Great Cathedral. Sorry, yes. We're in the Great Cathedral, but the room name is Sin and Punishment. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant, sorry, which is on level one. We've just defeated the, the Marid, is it, what is he called? Marid, yeah, Marid, yeah. Uh, yeah. What's he, fish nut, fish peanut head, fish light bulb? No, he is a conehead, so he's a conehead fish man. Um, conehead fish man, that's the one. Yeah, so, yeah, he was like um, a, uh, a water genie. Yeah. yeah, he was like ahead of the water genies, wasn't he? Yeah, all of these are the kings of the, the elementals. And the other things as well, as we'll find out soon. Mm. We leave the Sin and Punishment and we go back down the stairs, back over the river into Truth and Lies and the small cutscene again. I mean, the small cutscenes for all these bosses. Ashley walks in and is blinded by a burst of light and the big fire genie, Ifrid, is now there. And the music, Ifrid, starts to play. And I just want to pop a patch note in here, actually. I had said a few weeks ago that when we're on the mines and the music Ifrid started to play, that Ifrid was like a secret character, like extra content character. And clearly, Ifrid is not 
because Ifrit is here. And I don't know why that referred to him as a he. He looks like a he. No, I think it is a he, though. Ifrit. I think it's Arabic as well for a fire djinn or a fire genie. Similar to the, the married was the water genie. So now we fight Ifrit. He's a, he has 500 health, 180 magic points. He's a phantom affinity. In a special attack, a fireball and a fire storm. And I use a regular strategy. I use a spark fusion and Heracles and just wailed on him for two or three minutes. Not a problem. You? No, they were f- I mean, he, was no, he wasn't much of a problem. You know, you, you, as long as you use your Heracles and you use the right um, attachments, then it's not much, much of a challenge. You know, I never change my attachments. I, I just rely on the power of the spells, really. Well, I think, yeah, the spells are what makes it easier at this point. Yeah. Definitely. Um, right, scores. I well, um, we'll, we'll get to it later, but I'll, I'll have a huge jump at some point, and I'll, I'll explain why. So, scores are two million five hundred fifty-seven thousand six hundred ninety-six. Right, three million four hundred eighty thousand seven hundred fifty-one. I've done sixty-five percent of the map, and I've done seventy. I'm still a berserker, and I'm destroyer. HP plus four, and I get MP plus two. We get an Elixir of Queens and a Grimoire Flamme, which I think now does level two or three of the Fireball. Mm. In this room, this room's like a big T-shape that we're in, and did you notice, well, you would have noticed a big crack in the wall at the end. Yeah. Where Ifrid appears, and he casts a, a rude inverse shadow, a rude inverse, not shadow, light on the back wall. So if we move left, we go into Sanity and Madness, down to B1. Another cutscene. Ashley walks into the room... And the end of the room is missing, and we can see the sea at the end of a cave wall, and the sun is shining through the cracks. So at this point, I guess it would be sunset, because we'd seen him earlier, like sort of midday, yeah. didn't we, when we first got to Le Monde. Yep. Ashley walks to the very end, overlooking the sea. A big crab then pops up, and he jumps back, and the musing iron crab starts to play. Boss is the Iron Crab, 375 HP, 0 MP. It's a beast, has special attacks, Aqua Bubble, and Tidal Rush. So, much like the other crab, Heracles, Prestasia, degenerate on the crab, smack it in the mouth with a rapier, job done. Yeah, you know, it's just a standard treatment for crabs. Just got a <laughs> tail for them. <laughs> um, scores again 2,658,568. 3,580,455. of the map. 71%. Still a berserker. Still a destroyer. HP plus 4. Right, strength plus 2. After we defeat this boss, a cloud stone now becomes active, and this is the one that was back in the first room. However, I don't think I used it at any point, because if you use it and you go up there, you just end up in an area that's too hard to navigate, I find. You can approach the same area from somewhere else. Yeah. And you get through regardless, so... Hmm. Prizes, we get a Valens wine and an Elixir of Kings. Now, I screwed up with the wines. I mm. thought the wines were like collectibles, because you know how Carl yeah. says, get me some wine. So I kept them all, kept my inventory. However, you can use them and you get stat increases, which I didn't know. Valens does strength stat, Prudence does intelligence, and Virtus does magic points. Uh, yeah, well, that's why I drank all my wine before Did I you? fought the last boss. Ah, oh, nice. So the way you done. might as well just get rid of everything. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. It doesn't follow you, I don't think. I think, yeah, lots of stuff disappears. 
So you go back through Truth and Lies and onto the Victor's Laurels, a big square room. And you take the lift that's in there, the Cloudstone lift, which was activated from defeating the Marid. So if you had went right, first of all, thought if Red the Crab and went this way, it wouldn't be available. This room is basically, it's, a, it's kind of a mirror image of the, the boss room, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, so you take the lift up into Cracked Pleasures. It's, a, it's on level one and it's a square room with another lift. But that's active, but however, you ignore it and you go down the corridor through Heratic Recollections, which is just a long corridor and there's nothing to do here. You just run straight down into the Flayed Confessional. Cutscene, so we know what's coming. It actually walks in and there's a lightning bolt and the boss appears. And for whatever reason, the music Doolahan starts to play. Because he's not a Doolahan, it's a Jin, spelled D J I N N. 500 health points, 180 magic points. It's a phantom and a special attacks, lightning bolt and thunder burst. So it's the um, air genie, isn't it? It's the boss yeah. of the air genies, the djinn. And there's djinns elsewhere, isn't there? Yeah, so djinns are genies, effectively. Same thing, or a demon. Maybe they also the composer also ran out of songs and was like, let's just use Dolahan again. Maybe, but I'm pretty sure there was a song for the air element. No, maybe he's no, not. Maybe he's I not don't wrong. Think so. Fair enough. Maybe it says he isn't. There's a lot of songs on this game, but I don't think there's one for the air element actually. So, fair enough. I think you can buy the soundtrack. You can. You can buy the soundtrack. I was just going to say that the first place I heard of a gin was if you saw it not last year but the year before was the Witcher TV series. Did you watch that? No, but I read the books and I that's where I heard read the gin for the first time. Yeah, there was a gin in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. So to beat him, I used Heracles and Soil Fusion on myself. Soil Fusion, now that I'm saying it out loud, it almost sounds like, you know, he's messed himself, doesn't it? <laughs> Soil Fusion. <laughs> so, but, you know, it gives you the power of Earth. Um, it took a little bit of time, but I did beat it. I just had to string together loads of attacks. It was a bit tougher than the last couple of bosses. Yeah, but, you know, it makes sense. Still goes down under the sword, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting as well that Earth... Um, grounds the electric guy. Scores 2,757,165. I got 3,680,132. I've still done 65% of the map. I'm on 72. I Still a berserker. Still a destroyer. And MP plus 2. I got HP plus 2. So in this room, there's actually a chest with a really small puzzle. There's a chest that's elevated one block off the ground with two sliding crates above it. So you hit the back crate with your sword and push, which allows you to get in between the wall in the front chest, which then allows you to slide the chest off the top and then you can access the chest. And we get a couple of items. We get some fluted armor, some risk-lowering items, and uh, Acolyte's Nostrum. When you defeat the djinn, we also get a small little scene showing a cloud stone that activates in the poison chapel. Now you leave this room and you go back through the cracked pleasures and take the elevator up this time to free from base desire on level 2. There's another cloud stone in here that you can go up again, but there's no point because you'll hit a dead end. So you move on through to a basement from above, and this is the other side. If you took the cloud stone from the first entry point this is where you would come from the other side but like i said it's too hard to go around here from where we enter here now there's just a large jump in the floor but there's a couple of horrible traps there uh, yeah. you can hit a few bad traps in there i think 
So you just jump over it and we end up into the Hall of Broken Vows. A dragon walks out and the music doesn't change so we know it's a demi-boss. It's the flame dragon. No, it's not. It's Charizard. <laughs> Do you not eat the exact the spit of Charizard of Pokemon? <laughs> I thought I had notes wrong there. Really? Yeah, I never, I never saw that. I never put that together. But yeah, fair enough. Charizard. Um, so yeah, it's the flame dragon, 750 HP, zero magic points. It's a dragon. It does searing breath and tail attack. And I'm sure it bites as well. You know, it's like bite. every dragon. They've got a blueprint on the file for dragon. Just go drag and drop dragon. Make it a water dragon. Make it a nice dragon. Make it a fire dragon. Make it an air dragon. So I used Heracles and Frost Fusion. This caused about 77 damage to it with an edged weapon. So if it was a super quick fight, I did one long chain, 17 hits and took it down. I was quite proud. Nice. And for you, same. Easy. Yeah, I just use Frost Fusion on your weapons and that, that works. Because it's a demi-boss, there's no scores here. So mm. we get a Kala Sigil and a Sorcerer's Reagent. But we quickly move on into the Light and Dark Wage War on level 2. And when you first come in here, did you try and jump the the, the long jump? Uh, no, I think I went along the side of the wall. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I tried to jump it the first time, and you can't. So okay. I used Invigorate to up my agility. Still couldn't. So I used, a, what do you call it, a fairy chortle or something? Yeah, fairy, yeah, fairy wing or something. Fairy so, yeah. wing. And you can, you can make the jump then, actually. Okay. However, what you should do is go round the outside like to the right from where you start because or you can go left and if you go left that activates a lever which you need for later i think does it activate a cloud storm yeah i jumped up and pulled the lever because you can see the lever up the top left hand side yeah so if you go around to the right it takes you around the outside of the room and you go into an arrow into darkness and this has a small box puzzle which involves, it's a bit like one of them little puzzle boxes you get, you know, when you have to slide the box. Yeah. You know, you have a grid of nine, but one's missing. You have to slide them around to make a make a, a picture. Mm. Kind of reminds me of that. So we open that, and there's some fluted leggings, fluted glove, eye of argon, and cure potion. So we're getting all the fluted items here, and I'm not sure if I put them on or not, to be honest with you. I can't remember. I don't even think I did put any new armor on. I think I was quite happy with all my armor at this point. So now you can go down into where the darkness spreads. And this is just purely a room for treasure. Um, you use the friction. There's frictionless cubes, a load of them, and a load of crates to push. And what you have to do is to get to the chest. You have to fill like a small area with all these cubes using the crates to stop as for the frictionless cubes. So you push them to stop, you push them again to stop. And then eventually you manage to fill the hole and you get into the chest, which gives us a shield, some armor, mana bulb, and elixir queens. I was thinking you could get stuck in that room. It could break the game. Yes, because to get out, there's a platform, floating platform, you have to jump off a block, isn't there? Frictionless stone, is that what it's called? Frictionless stone, yeah. Yeah, and if you move that, or you push that down the hole, the doors are broken, you can't get out, you couldn't get get up onto the cloud stone, you can't reset the room, so I think you could break the game with that room. Well, you can't push it into the hole because it's against the back wall, but you can push it left or right. And if you push it left or right, I don't know if you can get back onto the oh, yeah. to the cloud stone. Know. Not sure. I don't know if you can. I think you could maybe break the game at that point, but I didn't want to try. No. So once we're done here, take the cloud stone back up. You return to the Hall of Broken Vows, but this time when you go in there, you go west into He Screams for Mercy. And the first time I come here, I didn't. I just ran in, thought, oh, there's nowhere to go and ran out. But what you need to do is climb up and over. 
when we're looking at Ashley with his back to the door, we move right and into the Acolyte's weakness. This is just another stair room. So what we're learning is the copy and paste in the stairs in these rooms as well, because this looks like the second room from when we came in. Down into the Monk's Leap on level one. And this is quite strange because it's the first time, and I think the only time, we hit some normal enemies in the place. A couple of zombie knights and a lich. Yep. However, we do get a prize for defeating the lich. We get a ghost hound accessory, which I couldn't equip because my infantry was full, so I couldn't take it. And we got a laurel sigil, elixir of queens, and a grimoire. Ah, oh, I say it. Demolier? Yeah, Demolier, which is basically de- demolition. Explosion, yeah. Warlock spell. Yeah. So we leave here and we go the opposite side of He Screams of Mercy, which I found a bit difficult because getting back off the platforms, back on the main platform, was a funny jump where you had to kind of like do a 90 turn in midair. Yeah. So I used Invigorate for that just to up my agility slightly, just to help me out everything I could because I fell off there six or seven times. There's a lot of stuff like that in this temp- in the temple, the cathedral. Yeah, loads. And yeah. some of them you jump have you done a jump missed and it takes you down to the floor below and you have to retrace your steps yeah yeah. or there's some places where you jump onto there's just one place you can jump and it's a trap and there's nowhere else to go and you hit the trap yeah yeah. there's like a cursed trap and uh, there's a cursed trap else. yeah and it's just in one small place and you can't go anywhere else so you have no. to get yourself cursed yeah but at least we have blessing to get rid of that yeah so the other side of He Screams for Mercy is the Maelstrom of Malice and that's a that's Nordic right Maelstrom yeah. Which sounds fantastic, Maelstrom of Malice. And we get a check message, the door locks, more normal enemies, a dark skeleton, but this time it's the Lich Lord. 290 health points, 320 magic points. However, he's a demi-boss, so you just knock him down like he's a pack of cards. And once you beat him, you more cloud stones than activate. When you go all the way back down through Sin and Punishment to the Poisoned Chapel, and this is where we activate a cloud stone previously, and we use one of the sigils that we got. But did you notice all the magnetic cubes that were stuck together in this room? Yes, just as you get to the other side, there's just loads of magnetic cubes stuck together. Just a bit of decoration, but... Uh, decorative but, cubes. Yeah, decorative decorative magnetic cubes. But we move through the poison chapel into a light in the dark on level one. And it's another mini boss, an arch dragon. But for a mini boss, it's got a lot of health. 785, the most health we've seen on a boss so far. Zero magic. It's a dragon... And it has normal special attacks. The music doesn't change, obviously. We get a check message and the door's locked. So it's a standard strategy. But for me, it had really high chain resistance. And it was quite hard to hit. Because even though my risk was quite low at about 20-25, I think I only had a 50% chance to hit at this point. Okay. So it took three or four minutes for me. But it wasn't difficult, just a long time. What about yourself? Yeah, no, I mean, he seems to be like a standard dragon. Yeah. I don't think I found him overly taxing. So now that we beat him, we get an Acacia Sigil and another Acolyte Nostrum. So with all these sigils, we return to free from base desires and then use the Cloudstone Elevator there that takes you up another level into the Wine Lecher's Fall on level 3. Nothing to do here, really, just move on. Uh, there's, a, there's a jump, isn't there? Yeah. There's a platform in the middle to jump to, and then you jump over and we hit... The Heretic's Story, level 3, but the lower level on it. And this one takes a bit of practice, because it's the one with the three moving platforms. And the last platform is really moving at some speed. Well, it takes practice unless you use Fixate, and then they get frozen. 
Ah, okay. So yeah, you use the fixate, the grimoire fixate, and it makes them freeze. Right, yes, I forgot about that. And I was just running and jumping and trying to time it. But no, that's a much better idea. Yeah, you just freeze them and then you just walk across. I mean, last one, you still need to time it when it gets over to the edge to make the jump, but it makes it so much easier. But if you make the jump as it's moving towards the platform, towards the other side, you can use the acceleration of it to really throw yourself across. Yeah, you still need to, you still wait, you freeze them and then you wait until they unfreeze and use that acceleration to get you to across. But getting across to that is, is easier when the other two are frozen. There's that superior intelligence coming into play. No, you just kind of, you have it for a reason, fixate. Or although maybe you prefer the challenge. <laughs> I, I just like the timing aspect of it all. I like, I guess that's something good about the game that, you know, there's a variety of ways you can complete the game. You know, there is no set way of completing it. And, you know, you can use the spells, you can use the different weapons. Yeah. And and you can still complete the game in, in whatever way suits your playstyle, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Now that we're the other side, we move through the door into the hopes of the idealist on level three. And this boss is the Dao. And what a boss. So it is the king of the fat guys, the earth elementals. Yeah. And he's a phantom. And, you know, Earth Affinity. And for me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but did it run away from you a lot? Yeah. Constantly running away. And I couldn't do much damage to it, to be honest. It would hit me, run away. And what the problem is, it runs all the way on top of, like, the bookshelves. You have to try and put your sword away to jump up. Then as you're trying to jump up, it hits you with a spell, and you got to get up there and get your sword back out. Then it runs away, back down, and you jump back after it. And it's just a lot of cat and mouse. He's very sprightly for a big round guy. That's very true. I had to heal a lot. Um, you know, that, I'll note that. But what I kept doing was I bound the, the magic drain, I think it was called, onto my defensive ability. So whenever he cast a spell, I had a chance to try and take magic off him, which really helped. I burned through a lot of magic here. Uh, in total, it took me over 10 minutes to defeat this boss. Yeah, I mean, I think, as you say, he, he is just he's difficult. He's hard to catch. Yeah, that's the main problem. He's hard to catch more than anything. Until I changed weapons, I was only dealing a couple of damage. Then I changed to a rapier, and then that really started dealing damage, and that's when I defeated it. Scores, I'm on 2,863,235. I'm on 3,785,945. I've hit 70% of the map now. 77. Still a berserker. Still a destroyer. And I got HP plus 4. You get HP plus one. We get a Palm Sigil, an Elixir of Queens, and another Grimoire Gaia for the Earth attack. So that's level two or level three of that. And to be honest, I don't really use these Grimoires. I just use the swords for everything. Mm. We now get a bit more story, cutscene, proper cutscene, not just bossing reductions. We get a flash of Melos on a black background. And she says, help, Ashley. Melos shouts, where are you? Then Ashley looks up as the camera zooms in and he says above. We then fade to black and fade back in on Sydney arriving on a cloud stone with Guildenstern and Harden. The music, the last strength starts to play. Sydney asks Harden what has happened. Guildenstern tells him that we have been waiting for you. They then circle each other until Sydney is next to Cal Harden 
and Joshua. Sydney then says, I will handle this. And Guildenstern says, No apologies, Sydney. Not for the man you've been deceiving for these many years. Harden then asks Sydney if it's time in that, if the tattoo is the key. Sydney asks for forgiveness in Hardened Man's know why. Why he's betrayed him after all the efforts. Guildenstern says, He has played you all like pawns and now throws you away. What is this phantom soul needed for the rites? Answer me, Sydney, or you will die. Guildenstern then fires like a psycho blow at Sydney, and Sydney starts bleeding from his mouth and wipes away the blood with his hand. Sydney then says to Guildenstern, Does he really want to become a martyr for his fool religion? Guildenstern replies, Not religion, revolution. A fresh wind to blow away disease of the land. He says the realm is sick. He says, Fawning merchants licking the boots of nobility and they do nothing and blame others for their failure. They steal men's dreams and twist them into nightmares. He continues to say he must cleanse the corruption. There must be strong and unwavering justice, and there must be fear to enforce that justice. Sidney says that this rule is wretched and it does not value human life. So he's actually starting to show his true colours here a bit, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's actually... You know, would you would you say by this point he's actually a good guy? Yeah, I would say, yeah. Guildenstern replies to him, the world doesn't want a saviour. The rotting branch must be pruned. Sidney tells him a tyrant always dies alone, surrounded by silver-tongued leeches. He sows sorrow and reaps death. Guildenstern says to him, you are a leader too. Do you not dream of what could be? The reply being, in my dreams, an evil tyrant's hands which would choke the world, and he is the only one blind to his folly. Guildenstern points his rapier at Sydney, and tells him it is a farce, it is over, and I will have my answer. That he will have retribution from his flesh, like your pawn, and then Sydney looks at Harden. Malos then starts to interject, and says, If the soul is not true and fast, the rites are meaningless, it will lead to disaster. Samantha then arrives and shouts Sydney, and Sydney hits her with a psycho ball and she falls over and screams. Sydney then tells Hardham that they fly to safety, to blackened wing and wavering light. Then that's when Hardham says, You sought to help the Duke, your father. And Sydney says, a, An enchantment, and Hardham, Malos, and Sydney then all disappear. Well, they don't. They, he kind of Star Trek beams them up. <laughs> yeah. Did you so. not? Yeah, that's what it was. They blew like light, made them Star Trek disappear. Yeah. And also, Sydney and Gillenstern used a force. Clearly, it's a force. It's a force. So is, is this is this a is this Star Trek and Star Wars in one now? I think with so, with yeah. with elements of Pokemon. Yeah. This sounds like the best game ever. Yep. <laughs> Gildenstern then stabs Sydney. And he falls to the ground and says, Perhaps I cannot kill you, immortal, but I shall have your blood sin as my trophy. So we move back to the gameplay and we go back to the Hall of Broken Vows and use the Acacia Sigil to give access to the Melodics of Madness on level 2. There's a few cubes here to push around, which gives you access upwards to use the Palm Sigil to enter What Ails You Kills You. And it's another cutscene, and there's a golden slash grey black yin and yang symbol. What, what's the actual name for that symbol? It's just a sun and moon face. It's half a sun and half a moon. Right. And it flies around the room. 
Yeah, this boss is called Nightmare. He's the king of the dark elementals. It looks down, and you see the sun and moon face, and then, you know, all the appendages come on it, and you see the boss. So, as you said, it's the boss Nightmare. It has 500 HP, 180 magic points. It's a phantom and uses Dark Chant, Curse, and Meteor. But it really, really loves that curse spell. It just kept using curse on me, and I had to keep curing it with blessings. Okay. And then rebuff myself and hit it again. And it took a bit of time. It was a bit tough. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't the easiest, but you know, I think it's more time than being difficult. Yeah, I think so. Scores, I got... 2,964,123. I'm on 71% of the map. I'm on 77. Still a Berserker. Still a Destroyer. HP plus 4. I'm strength plus 2. We get the Grimoire Meteor, Warlock spell. Elixir Dragoons as well. So when you defeat the Nightmare, we activate a Cloudstone, which we jump on and get to Despair of the Fallen. And there's nothing to see here. So we move on to where the soul rots. And then finally, there's one more elevator. I don't know why they put all these extra rooms in. It just seemed it seemed surplus, didn't it, to the, to the needs. You're just going from empty room to empty room to jump onto a cloud stone to get into the atrium. Screen fades to black. The music, the great cathedral attic starts to play. Ashley can hear Sydney moaning from above. Ashley walks up to him and sees Sydney covered in blood. He says, What's this? Sydney replies, You're late, risk breaker. Ashley wants to know what's happened to Malos. And Sydney tells him not to worry that he's sent her to a safe place and she will escape unharmed. We then see Sydney's back and you can see that he's basically been skinned by Gildenstein and he's ripped the tattoo off. It's pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's it's yeah, yeah. I think it's shown that Gildenstone is a, a monster. Ashley turns to see a grey image of the boy that we've seen many times, and it says, "I wanted to help father. The city was his only hope." Sydney then says to Ashley, "So you can see." The young boy then says, "I wanted to help father, as he helped me when I was born." Sydney keeps on going, saying, "I wanted to help the city destroyed." even if it meant his own death. Then he implored me, do not let them use it, the power. Stop him, stop Gildenstern. Those who crave the dark cannot control the dark. You must stop him, kill him, before the dark sucks his living soul away. Ashley demands to know where he is, and Sydney points up. Sydney then goes to tell Ashley that he's sorry, but Ashley acknowledges this. So, massive twist. Right, so that boy, the grey boy we've been seeing this whole time, makes a lot of sense. It was Sydney, which yep. is, uh, yeah, which I put this together kind of just as it was about to explain, it, and I was like, whoa, hang on, that is Sydney's. Yeah, I mean, because all along you thought it was Joshua, but yes, we did. So we've given the gameplay back, we've given a chance to save for the final time. At this point, good idea to maybe cast Heracles in Prestasia on yourself and then walk up the stairs. Drink all your elixirs and wine and everything that you have on you, because you're not going to get to use those again. Three bottles of wine, then jump up on the roof. Sounds like a fun time. Yeah, or go and teleport yourself to some workshops and sort out your stuff as well. Yeah, that is, that is something you should also do. Yeah. 
if it's like me, what you then what I then did was I then spent about four hours in the game world going to the Iron Maiden, getting some gear, okay. getting myself um, more weapons and getting phantom points and we'll explain why in a bit. Yep. So we walk up the stairs and we end up on another cutscene. Guildenstern and Samantha are on the top of the cathedral kissing. Guildenstern's now topless. And we can see he has Sydney's skin pasted on his back. So he's just hung Sydney's skin on his back. And somehow was expecting this to give him power, even though it's not really on him, you know. Pretty twisted. It's raining, and the wind can be heard blowing. As they finish the kiss, Samantha says, My love, why? And Samantha has been stabbed by Guildenstern. So it's just, do you think the writers of Game of Thrones played Vagrant's story were like, yep, stealing that? No, I think this is the common trope in a lot of things. <laughs> but basically, this guy just—he just wants power at all, at all costs. So he's not—he's not just a Jon Snow, no. No, but Jon Snow was doing it for the right reasons. That's true, supposedly. Also, let's not talk about the end of Game of Thrones because that—that creates a lot of the division amongst people. Um, and it was a terrible ending. It was a terrible ending. I think everyone's in unison there, but we're not here to talk about Game of Thrones, are we? Guildenstern says, Forgive me, Samantha. I need your soul. Our cause needs a martyr. And the camera at this point is looking from the top of the steeple, and there's a rude inverse-like spire right at the top that's in focus. Sam says, Your cause? There's no place for me, for our dream. Guildenstern says that he loves Samantha, and she replies, I thought so, once to. She then falls off the roof and disappears somewhere in through the ground. You don't actually see her hit the ground, which is good. Would have been a bit too grim. There's then a load of energy, like pink light and lots of energy. And the wind stops and you can just hear the rain. And there's bolts around Guildenstern. And then Ashley arrives. He shouts at Guildenstern. Guildenstern eyes are white. He then says, come on, risk breaker. Your death will be my rebirth. And his body turns black and it's gold and he's holding what looks like the spire. I think it's called a Holy Win Rude Blade, but it looks like the spire. Yeah, it's a big spiky sword, basically. Yeah, it looks like a rude inverse, doesn't it? It also looks like he's gotten a fake ten. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> he then finishes with, Come, help me celebrate my ascension, and we start the first boss fight. The music then fades into the banquet of transmigration. this fight was not hard it wasn't too hard he loves using dispel this is why i cast heracles and prestasia on myself if you run up to him you can sometimes manage to get a chain off before he gets dispel on you and a couple of times the dispel missed actually he went to cast it and missed and i could keep on hitting him but he has got high hp and mp but yeah i thought you know and sometimes he had his back turned to you as well so he'd miss and then you just could hit him in the back yeah and then he'd run away yeah but this isn't too hard, anyway, so you defeat that. What I was thinking is, this it? This is so easy. Yeah. He was the main big bad guy. Disappointing. So we defeat him, and there's some lighting effects, and the holy wind drops off the roof, and Ashley falls into a white space of emptiness, and there he sees him, a grey image of himself as a younger man. There were drums, and it was like really weird, like steel drums and stuff, in the whiteness, when he was drifting into the whiteness. A voice says, forget that which pains you. You cannot reclaim what is lost to time. 
let it go. There is only regret here. And Ashley's shadow disappears. The voice continues. What difference does it make whether you lost a wife and child or killed an innocent family? Well, I can tell you, that's a hell of a difference. Or your wife and child died or you murdered a family. That's a pretty big difference. But anyway... Well, for me in this part, I still don't know what the hell it was all about. Did he have a wife and f- child, or did he murder that people? And I don't think I, I don't think that's ever resolved. It's not resolved. They don't address it. I think it's just left for you to make your own ending. Which is a bit of a. I don't. I don't think I like that because it's. It says a lot about Ashley as a character. Uh, he's either killed a family and forgotten about it or been brainwashed or it was his own family that's I think that's a big difference there is a massive difference and I don't like the fact that it's left unresolved you know because is he can he actually be a, a good guy if he's gone and killed a family in cold blood the voice continues your hands are tainted with blood truth or no your sins are eternal Ashley then sees tears corpse and the voice still continues release the past look to the future join us Ashley come home Ashley's shadow reappears and walks towards him. There is no growth without birth. Without a foothold in the past, we cannot walk towards the future. As a flash, Ashley says, Get me gone, darkness. We're then back to the outdoor field. Marco says, Papa, and Ashley hugs him. Ashley says, Forgive me, Marco. You must have been lonely. Marco replies to him, No, I'm brave, just like Papa. Tia approaches and Ashley says Tia and she says welcome home Ashley Tia says you've done all you could do for us it was a short time but I knew happiness with you you gave me a lifetime's worth of love Marco tells Ashley not to cry and says that he's not crying Ashley goes to speak but Tia puts a finger on his lips she tells him do not be misled by others words believe your heart and they kiss Tia tells Ashley that she loves him. They both smile and Tia and Marco disappear. The voice continues to say, Come home, Agent Riot. Your story is not yet finished. So before we go into the last boss fight here, it's... um. Well, well I think I believe in that. From that story, you will believe that it is his wife and child. Yes. But, but on the other hand, wasn't it the case that they disappear into white sparkles and the good people are the white sparkles? Because anyone who dies and they're bad are like... They're like black. dark. On the, they're yeah. dark. And the good people are the white sparkles. Yeah. Now, so they, when Sydney told um, Ashley a, that story previously, were they his wife and child? Or, or was it, um, it Rosencrantz had said that he had killed them? It was his wife and child the first time, down after the Minotaur. Yeah. Then after that, when we saw him in the Snowfly Forest, I believe it was peasants. And then when Rosencrantz talked about it, it was peasants again. Yeah, but when Rosencrantz talked about it, it was that Ashley had killed him. Yes, but I think that was a lie. I think that's just Rosencrantz being Rosencrantz. Okay. Because if if anyone was going to lie, it was Rosencrantz, right? Yeah. Maybe then it was his wife and child. Maybe it was, but I think it's still very ambiguous. I don't know how you feel. Well, I mean, you said yourself, it's ambiguous, isn't it? And it's purposely so. Yeah. So we end up back with gameplay, I guess now. I don't know what to call it. I, I suppose we're probably on the roof of the cathedral in a way. Ashley starts to stand up and he's on a huge magic circle in the middle of the cathedral. A huge dark angel Guildenstern is flying next to the circle and draws a weapon. 
the gameplay resumes. We are, as we say, like on this huge magic circle, and Guildenstern is there, and my god, is he tough. I mean, I said this game was difficult at places, which I think I was probably over-exaggerating the difficulty slightly. Never really had that many difficulties up to this point, but this boss, my god. Yeah, they do throw you right back into it. I mean, you think the game is over. I I thought it was over. Yeah, and any risk that you accumulated, you've got. Any health that you've lost is still missing. Any magic you've used is still missing. So you have to start using items. You have to lower your risk. You have to recover your health. You have to recover your magic. You also maybe just need to cast things on yourself. Heracles, Protasia. Not that it really helped me this time. Because I could never hit him for more than single digit damage. I think there's a thing as well where it, it lure, he lures you into hit, trying to do big chains, but they don't work. No, they definitely don't work. And he has this, this attack, the rude inverse attack, which deals about 600 damage to you. Which, if you have the, um, the demon scale defensive ability, you can use that to half the damage. But then as he goes into the animation, he flies over you and you can hit him at that point and interrupt it. But if you've got high risk... You know, you've you've got single percentage chances to try and hit them, so it's really tough. But, however, there's a cheesy strategy, like with a lot of games, cheesy strategy you can use, and I'm not ashamed to admit I use this cheesy strategy. And what about yourself? Um, is that the big PP? The big PP. <laughs> so if you've been playing this game, you'll know weapons have two stats on them, particularly DP, damage points, and PP, phantom points. So using one of the offensive abilities restores phantom points to the weapon. And there's an ability called Phantom Pain. It's alternate. Which allows you... <laughs> phantom Pain deals the damage of the equivalent number of phantom points you have, ignoring any defensive abilities that the person or the target might have. So what I did was I went and filled my inventory with eight weapons filled all of the phantom points with them some of them were about 120 one of them was like 60 one was 190 but i think i only so the strategy was run up to guildenstern start a chain hit him with one attack hit him with a phantom pain attack and do upwards of 100 damage then change weapon do it again so i'd really struggled up to this point i tried him several times couldn't defeat him and using this method i think i probably defeated him in under a minute I was the same. I mean, I didn't try to beat him without this method. That's what I used. I really don't think you could first time around. I think he's too tough. Really is. No, I think it is too difficult. Maybe it's not, but I think using the Phantom Pain makes it doable. Because he's got that Blood Sin as well, which is an absolute killer of a thing that he has. And he's got like judgment and gravity. There's just so much damage that he can cause to you. Even his normal attacks are doing like 100 damage or 100 plus. So you've got to be on the ball healing. However, to get all this, you know, I went down into the Iron Maid to get the, all the phantom points on the weapons. I probably spent another three, four, maybe five hours on this this just to get to this part of the game. You know, I went and defeated that Iron Golem, yeah. you know, ran around just collecting things and then got the points come back. Um, so it was a, quite a lot. But anyway, he does go down. And if you use this method, he goes down very fast. Then he starts falling apart. So once we defeat Guildenstern, he starts to fall apart, as you see. We then cut to the smoke barrel stay and see Cal escaping with Joshua and Harden. And she turns back from a moment facing the door that they just came out of and shouts Ashley and there's an earthquake. 
Harden tells her quick it's all collapsing. She protests asking about Ashley and Harden tells her there's no time and they have to leave. And then you just see a couple of areas, don't you? You see like a few orcs and a few other things running around panicking and one of them like slips over and falls off the edge into a river. I felt a bit bad for them. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't hesitate to attack you if you walked past them though. Yeah, but I felt sad for them when they were like the whole place was falling apart. We then see Nisa and Tiga in the sanctum. Tiga tells Nisa to go, and Nisa asks him, and what? We are finished? We then see Grissom, who's now a zombie, to face Tiga. Tiga says, we must tell them what has happened here. Flee, Nisa. Nisa then tells Tiga to come back alive, and we finish their scene with Tiga saying to Grissom, now the slowest dance begins, partner. Tis a fine tomb we share. So that, at least that's a bit of closure there, right? Yeah, but do they die? I'm presuming so. I don't know. I think a lot of this stuff was set up for a sequel. It actually was set up for a sequel. It was meant yeah. to be a sequel. But the game wasn't a huge commercial success, which I never got the sequel. I believe the development team was disbanded as this sort of development team after the game, which is a shame. We then cut to the catacombs, and Ashley is carrying Sydney to his safety. The walls of the catacombs are crumbling down. Ashley's got no shirt on and the blood sin can be seen on his back. We then start seeing other way around, and we can see a Dullahan and a dragon, which then disappear into dust, so all of the magic is now disappearing. We then cut to see the outdoors, and Gildenstern's torso can be seen as it falls into a circle. But it's um, his, his torso's returned to more human form, hasn't it? Yeah, it's more he's just from his shoulders up. That's yeah. all that's left of him. Yeah, that's all that is. Like, yeah, like you say shoulders and a head. Uh, but half of the head's still like a demon type of thing. We then cut to outside of the Leomond entrance at dawn. Harden's lying down, mortally wounded, and Melos is looking at the fallen city. Melos says, Gods be with you, Riot. Joshua pulls on her arm, and they kneel down next to Harden, Harden, and crying. Joshua then speaks for the first time and says, No, Harden, stay here, don't go. Harden strokes Joshua's head and says... You speak at last. The terror. I am sorry. Harden then closes his eyes and dies and dissolves away. But doesn't he dissolve with the white? So he was a good guy after all. Yeah, he's a good guy as well because he's, he's the white sparkles. Joshua then hugs Melos and starts to cry and the morning sun rises. We'll move on. So we move on to the conclusion, which this confuses me, right? And, and I'll talk about why afterwards. So we're in the Duke Bedorba's secondary residence in the Greylands one week later, and we're indoors in the Duke's bedroom. Ashley walks into the room, but then as he exits the door, shuts behind him, he's then Sydney, isn't he? Yeah. And he says, well met, Sydney." Yeah, that's what the Duke says. Yeah, and then the Duke continues, so it is done. You have suffered much. I too have played my part. Let us leave the rest of this to Ashley. He is the one you have chosen. Sydney then talks, but you don't know what he's, what he's actually saying. And the Duke continues, I know what must be done. And Sydney smiles and gives him a dagger. I was not much of a father to you. Forgive me, my son. Sydney smiles and the Duke stabs him in the chest and he dissolves and the screen fades to black. Yeah, but Sydney also goes into sparkly whites, so he's good. Yeah, so he was good in the end. And a voice says, Sire, your excellency, someone bring water. Our lord has fallen. I was just a bit confused because, you know, on the second pre-intro, 
it says that they're pursuing Ashley. And I guess it kind of makes sense now because he walked in as Ashley. And I guess they're assuming, because Sydney disappeared, that Ashley did something with the Duke and then jumped out the window, say. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Because they said he killed the Duke, but it wasn't. It was Sydney and the Duke ended up, you know, killing each other. Yeah, well, because, the because they completed yeah. what they wanted to do with the power of Le Mans. They wanted to pass it on to Ashley, and that was their plan the whole time. Well, yeah, I think they were cursed. The blood sin was a curse on their family. And basically, you know, they wanted to get rid of it um, and then pass it on to Ashley, the power of whatever Leomond is, and then, then they've done that. Yeah, and everything that he did up to there was a test, I guess. Yeah, to make sure that he wouldn't use it for bed. And we get one final conclusion. Someone is standing outside the residence and he's wearing a long black coat. His face can be seen up to his lips and he looks like Ashley. And a guard approaches. The guard says, who walks there at this hour? What is your business? Show your papers. And the person turns around and it's Melos. And she shows him the VKP papers. Callum Melos, VKP Inquisitor. The guard says, my lady, I beg your forgiveness. She replies, it is no matter. You're merely doing your duty. The guard thanks her and walks off. As it walks off, the camera follows her and then we see the true appearance and it's Ashley and he is wearing the coolest outfit, isn't he? Yeah, because he's cool now. He's way cooler than what he was wearing through the game. But did you ever play Devil May Cry? Uh, Yes. Do you not think it reminds you of Dante from Devil May Cry? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, he's cool now though because cool guys wear black. That's what it is. (laughs) Before he was in white. And we we get some final blue text. And so begins the story of the Wanderer, the Vagrant. And then we get some big white text across the screen, which says, The Phantom Pain. It's all connected. (laughs) Which is Metal Gear Solid. It is, it is Metal Gear Solid. The Phantom Pain, Metal Gear Solid. We just, I don't know, we just go around in circles here. Was the sequel supposed to be The Phantom Pain? Maybe. Vagrant Story 2, The Phantom Pain. Yeah, or something like that. Maybe. I mean, because why did it stop with the phantom pain? What's that mean? I don't know. Because, you know, those phantom points that you can use to kill is the phantom pain for killing Gildenstern. But, yeah. But then you never know what happens afterwards. I mean, it's. I don't think it needed a sequel, to be honest with you. It's a good self contained story. Yeah, it is. It was, you know, it's a self contained game. As we've seen, it's a bit grindy in places. Um, menus need over overlooked, overworked worked over once again but it still holds up quite well it's not terrible yeah no it holds up quite well and I think as well um, you know the story was good most of the questions were answered there are some questions that still remain to be answered but maybe maybe good stories all of the questions aren't answered maybe it's left up to your own imagination to or to believe what you want yeah yeah that's a good way of looking at it or you know it's just a cheap cop out because they just didn't know how to finish the story well no I think it would have been fine if it was his family yeah. If they just explained it clearly that it was his family. No, that's true. That's all that to do, wasn't it? Staff credits roll, and at the end of staff credits, we get a screen. There's a dragon flying, and it comes up. Mission complete. And did you get your score for this? Oh, no, I didn't. I think oh. I... Oh, oh well. That, that's a shame. But anyway, I ended up on 3,410,130 bomb points. I finished 78% of the map, and yeah, I, I got a destroyer rank. Yeah, so you caught up to me in the end. Well, you didn't, but it was close enough. Closer, <laughs> anyway, closer than, than before. Yeah. And that's it. Um, 
you know, looking back, I'm glad I've now beat the game 21 years later. Fantastic. Very happy about that. I'll never yeah. play it again. Um, I think no. it's just aged too much. There's just, you know, and it's not because it's a PlayStation 1 game because two years ago I played all the Metal Gear games, as, as you know, and Metal Gear 1 still holds up to this day. You know, it's still a good game. Still plays well. Controls are slick. Gameplay is smooth. Story's great. Voices and voice actions great. Cutscenes are great. You know, can't can't knock it, especially of how good it looks on the PS1. But this game also looks fantastic on the PS1. I mean, there's not at one point I looked at this game and thought, oh, it's so ugly and dated. It really, I mean, you know, if you're going to compare it to a new, brand new game, you're always going to go, oh well, it doesn't look as good as, you know, The Last of Us Two, and of course, it's not going to look as good as The Last of Us Two. But for the hardware you had available, it it holds up. It looks great. Yeah, but I mean, you know, things like facial expressions and whatnot, you know, those were all great in this as well. So you know, good, fun. weren't they? Facial expressions. And, I mean, Metal Gear Solid didn't do facial expressions. I mean, that, I'm not sure that mouths. I think they had mouths, but I don't think they ever really moved. Uh, no, I can't remember that. I don't think so. Um, but the facial expressions, fantastic. Music, brilliant, you know. Love the yeah. music. I think one good thing as well about the end credits is you get all the concept art, which is quite cool. Yeah, it didn't run very well on my emulator for some reason. Did it run okay for you? Yeah. Yeah, it ran really choppy for me, so I just skipped it. And I got halfway through it, which took about 15, 20 minutes, then skipped it. Okay. So did you not get your save, your new plus, new game plus save, no? Uh, I think I did, yeah. Okay, Or maybe I didn't. Fine. It doesn't matter. I don't think... I don't think I will play it again. No, no, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Uh, so yeah. do you have have you got any any takeaways from the game for yourself? Um, I think the takeaway is that any game you are willing to forgive its flaws if the story is good, and not and not its flaws even. You know, if it's a bit grindy at times, or it's you know it's not perfect, or there you have issues with it, you're willing to overlook them because if the story is good, you will keep going. And I think that's the case from from a, a, a lot of games, single player story games. The important thing is the story. If the story is good, the rest of it you can you know you can get by. Not to say it's a bad game, but there are some things in it that we said you know they could be more polished or things could be you know a little bit easier. Some things are overlooked, like oh the door locked or, or you know yeah. As long as the story is good, and I think it is an excellent story. You know even as you say, stories are timeless. Yeah, and I think you know good storytelling is always is always a, a, a medium that will will keep people coming back for more and I think that's what it was it was a good story it was a good story I mean they still show Shakespeare plays today right and that's because they're good stories it was a vagrant story (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much for listening we really appreciate it you can find us on Facebook as Retrospective Replay and also Twitter as at Retro Replay Pod if you want to like and follow us you can also email us at retrospectivereplay at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or patch notes. Until next week, good night and Godspeed. Mm-hmm.